Thank you so much. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 10 today. I couldn't have had a better introduction, actually, than the message yesterday, because we're going to begin reading in verse 3, and the first word is remembering. And uh, that's where Mr. Herbster left off as he introduced this book to us uh, the last time we were in it. For many years, as we celebrated the Lord's Supper in the several churches that I pastored, uh, I would always say to them, or frequently say to them, uh, take out the picture book of your life and flip the pages and remember the goodness of God, remember what Jesus has done for you at Calvary to be sure, but since the Lord's Supper is emphasizing sanctification, uh, I said, remember how he has forgiven you how you have gone to him, he's restored your soul. Remember how he has given you strength to go through trial. Uh, remember how he has worked out the difficult situations of your life. Uh, remember him. That's remember him. Uh, we have an, an active uh, fellowship with God. We didn't get saved and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, we're on our own and then just looking for, hey, Jesus, come and take me to heaven. Uh, nothing relevant in between salvation and the rapture or death. No, uh, that's not the Christian life. And I think you know that. So we're looking today at how to tell if somebody's alive, uh, how to tell uh, what indications are there that someone is a beloved brother or sister in Christ. And so Keep that in mind as we begin to read, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. In the text for today, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I must confess, over the years, I've had uh, some concern about different ones that have professed faith in Christ, and I've tried to discern, is there reality here? Is there real fruit? Is, does this person really know Christ? I'm going to share with you some stories today uh, that I think will be helpful in understanding uh, this passage of Scripture. And also, I confess to you uh, before we even begin that there's some stories here that are dear to my heart and uh, part of my memory, and uh, God has certainly uh, used them in a, in a great way. I first got saved, I had a dramatic conversion, and I'll share a little bit later, but my father came to know Christ as Savior, and uh, I wondered about him. I, th my wife knows this. There were, there were times I said, I wonder, uh, is he really saved? And, and because I was looking for the dramatic, you know, and what I had experienced, 
I was missing some of the things that were less dramatic and some of the things that were very obvious fruits in, in my father's life. And uh, for instance, he was uh, a man that said, I'm not going to give anything to the church. You're only out for your money. And all of a sudden, he becomes a giver. He wants to give for the cause of Christ. Well, that should have been uh, the great indication right there that he really knew the Lord. But you don't get saved or stay saved because you give. And, uh, and yet that is a great sign. And so keep that in mind as we look uh, at the passage. Paul's thanksgiving to God is the subject here. He, he's thanking God through his prayers, praying for the Thessalonian believers, making mention in prayer, remembering their work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Uh, when, when you pray for other believers, do you remember them in that context? Do you remember the things that they have done for the Lord, how you have served the Lord together, how you've interacted? That's all part of this in these prayers, remembering and then knowing, okay? How do they know? Uh, how, do these, how does Paul and his cohorts know uh, that they are part of the elect, that they're uh, beloved brethren? Well, uh, the text gives us some reasons uh, for knowing, and these are, you know, not comprehensive, but they are some marks of conversion, to be sure. As we read through this particular passage, you're going to see uh, Paul's experience of the power of God in his life and how that worked out in the life of these new believers, how they received the Lord and how they lived for the Lord after that. We're seeing two sides of the same coin. We're seeing the spirit-filled ministry of the apostle and the reception then of those that have received the message. And uh, what a blessing it is to know that God's working in your life and that God uses you and the life of others, and you see uh, the results of that. And that's what we're seeing here uh, in this passage. However, Paul's confidence that they know the Lord, that they're saved, doesn't primarily rest upon his own experience. We can be wrong, but he sees the evidences in the lives of these people. So what are these evidences? How does Paul know that these men and women were brethren? Well, first, by the immediate result of their faith. They, they were converted. They believed the gospel. Paul was convinced they were truly saved, not because he said the right words, but because they received Jesus Christ in a certain way. And you see that in verses 4 and 5. How did they respond to the gospel? It said our gospel came. Now, a little sideline here. How did it come? Well, it came not in word only. Notice the word only, underscore that, and understand that it came in word. It just didn't come only in words. There was, there was results that, that took place. And by the way, you cannot present the gospel simply by your life, uh, by how you live and how you conduct yourselves. Uh, there has to be an undergirding of words. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The message on Pentecost, ye men of Israel, hear these words. And Peter had a lot of words. And with many other words, it says in verse 40 of the same chapter, and they received the word and, and were baptized and added unto the church. And so it has to come in words. When the gospel went to the Gentiles, uh, we read a similar thing. Uh, Peter is going to speak to Cornelius, and Cornelius is told, that he shall tell thee words, words. 
You have to give the gospel in, in a verbal form. People have to hear it. Your life can back it up, but they need to know why you are what you are and how you got to be what you are today. Our gospel, the apostles had personally received it and they were propagating it. In that sense, it was their gospel. In this particular epistle, in the second epistle, it's called the gospel of God, three times in chapter two, because it originates from God. It's called the gospel of Christ, and it's called the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, because it centers on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says our gospel, because it was it was a trust that he had been given, chapter 2 and verse 4, put in trust with the gospel. You have a trust today. If you've received the Lord, you know the Lord, and most of you have professed that way. In fact, all of you have uh, to be here. But if you generally know him, then that gospel is a trust. You have a responsibility to give it out uh, to others. So it came not in word only, but it came in power the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It had come to them in the power of the Holy Spirit through men who were convinced of the truth of the message. It didn't come in a theor theoretical lecture, okay? It didn't come in certain propositions disconnected with reality. It didn't come with fleshly entitlements. You know, I, I'm going to give you this, or enticements. I'm going to give you this if you do that, and, and you know, you're going to get something back. No, uh, the gospel came in power. Now, how could Paul say that? Uh, did he have a power meter, you know, for the service? You know, hey, the service is really doing well. The power meter is up. No, didn't have a power meter like that, but he saw what God was doing in the lives of people. You can't always tell when God is working, but sometimes as a preacher, you really know. Uh, I remember my wife and I, went to India, and we took the long trip. Uh, we got off the plane, and I made a mistake of trying to get a couple hours sleep uh, before I went to preach uh, in the first church we were in. We preached in a number of churches. There was a main church and a lot of other ones. We preached in one of the larger ones uh, immediately that day. And it, it's in India, you got men on one side and women on the other side, okay? Uh, that's the way it works. In this house, it was a house church. You had women in front, or excuse me, men in front and women on the side, okay? And so they were two different rooms. And so you talk about a divided audience. Not only were you preaching to men and women separately, but you're actually really preaching separately. I started uh, preaching the message, and one of those things, how the Lord leads, I was preaching on fellowship, partnership, and the book of Philippians going through the uses of it there. And I threw in an extra one. It's not in the book of Philippians. It's the partnership of marriage, okay? A fellowship of marriage. And uh, I don't know, you know, the Lord was just leading that way. And I knew that if you were in Calvary, you heard a testimony of uh, a man, an Indian, that was part of an arranged marriage, and it's working out wonderfully. And that's how they do things, okay? But I, I made the, the statement that I know that you don't uh, have your young ladies and men deciding for themselves, uh, but you as parents need to make sure that when you arrange a marriage, that you're arranging it believer to believer. No unequal yokes. 
And I went down that line. I could tell something was going on. And afterwards, when I concluded and turned it back over to my interpreter, who was interpreting in Malayalam, uh, he started talking and talking, and I could tell something is really going on, and I have no idea what it is, all right? Later on, I found out exactly what it was. Uh, the missionary's wife said to me, you don't know, do you? And uh, I said, no what? She said, well, that's a big controversy in all of our churches right now because one prominent individual, you know, has get, given their daughter you know, pledge their daughter to an unsaved guy, a wealthy unsaved guy. And uh, that is the talk. And so she said, everybody is knowing that. He stood up and he said, folks, this man got off the plane. We have, he knows nothing about our churches. He knows nothing about the problems, but God does. And you know that God is working when that happens, okay? And, uh, and by the way, the attendance at the other services uh, were wonderful. They were really good. People were, were there to hear what else was going to happen uh, in those services, all right? Paul was not only speaking of his power as a preacher, but he was speaking of the results that he was seeing in the lives. He knew something was happening there. He saw the gospel came, and it says, and you became the gospel produces certain things in the believer's life. Salvation is a supernatural trans transformation. It's not a change of lifestyle by my own self-effort. It's what God is doing from the inside out. In one of my ministries, there was a man named Willis. He was an abuser of his wife and a very heavy drinker and known as a scoundrel in the community. His wife, Ruth, finally gathered the courage to leave him and came to our church for help. Her sister was a member of our church, and that's why she chose us. When I told Ruth that I would go see her husband, she was terrified. She says, oh, I wouldn't do that, she said. I'd be very afraid. He's, he's very violent. I don't know what he might do. But before I could go, I received a call from her husband. And he asked in a stern voice if he could come to see me. My wife remembers his voice, a very gruff, stern voice. I met him in my conference room, boldly met him in my conference room, and told my principal to be in the next room just in case. All right. Uh, he said that he knew that his wife had come to see me, and uh, I didn't know what else to do but the obvious. And I said, where's why she came? And I began to go through the gospel with him. Little did I know, but earlier that afternoon, he'd been sitting on his bed holding a shotgun, prepared to take his life, and he thought about, well, maybe my wife went down to that church, maybe there's some hope for me there, and so he put the shotgun down and made that telephone call. And after I gave him the gospel, not knowing what was really happening in his life at all, he looked at me and said, can I do that now? I said, you sure can. We bowed and he prayed and they asked the Lord to forgive him and come into his life. And he was gloriously saved that day. The transformation was immediate and profound. The gospel came to him in power. He was delivered from alcohol and he became, seriously became a lover of his wife. The gospel came not in word only, but also in power. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. 
In salvation, there's an application of forgiveness to be sure, but there's an operation of power as well. God changes lives and God redirects lives. God infuses his life in ours. It came in the Holy Ghost. The gospel comes through the working of the third person of the Trinity. And when the gospel is preached, the Spirit of God uses the message of God to bring conviction, to show people Christ and their need there. The result of the new birth is the indwelling Holy Spirit that gives love, joy, and peace. Willis was formerly a hardened man, but the new man now had the glow of God on his face and joy and peace in his heart. The transformation was incredible in his life. The gospel came in much assurance. It may be this describes how they preached and that they came with real conviction and, and they preached with real power and boldness. I'm sure that was true. But it seems more likely that this is primarily a reference to the hearers being fully convinced of the truth of the gospel. You see, this section is primarily about the authenticity of the Thessalonians and only secondarily about the authenticity of the preachers. But we see both of them uh, here in the passage. No doubt Paul came with boldness, but it was a powerful change in the lives of the Thessalonians that gave them individual assurance. And it was that same evidence that assured Paul uh, of their spiritual reality as a people in a church. Much assurance. They were convinced. And then we read a little bit about what happened in description of these messengers, as you know. You know, they came, what manner of men they were. They came as godly, passionate, sincere men. Uh, they were men of integrity. And uh, that was backed up by the quality of their lives. They were self-sacrificing men. They came for your sake, not for what they could receive, what they could get, but what they could give uh, to the Thessalonians. So we see that they received the word. But we also know that these are true believers, that they are part of the elect of God. They, they are beloved brethren by what they became. They became followers. They, were, they had commitment. When we follow someone, we do what they say and do what they do. And that's what these did. They followed both the apostles and the Lord. You know, there's an obvious affection on the part of a new child to the parent that gave them the gospel. There's a, an affection for an attraction to those that preach to us and by whom then we receive the message whereby we are saved. And that was happening here. They became followers of these that preached to them. And secondly, a true believer recognizes the words of the apostles as the standard of his own life. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. You know, we have the words of the apostles today in the Bible. We follow that too. We, we follow the word of God. We have an affection for God's word. And they immediately had a, an affection for the truth of God being given out by the apostles. They followed him or them. And then they followed the Lord's example as well. Now, the Lord is more than our example He's our Savior. He's the one that died on Calvary's cross. He shed his blood. The only one qualified to do that, and he's alive today. 
But the Lord is our example as well. Not only our example, but he is our example. Don't let the liberals steal the truth of Christ is our example from you. And, and don't let the hyper-dispensationalists, if you don't know what that is, those that kind of put the Gospels aside and a lot of the rest of the Bible aside and uh, you know, say it's not relevant to us, don't let them steal uh, the words of the Lord. In fact, the Great Commission says we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, the words of Jesus. They became followers of the Lord. And they followed in difficult, trying circumstances, in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 17 was addressed in the last message. There was great persecution there. The peddlers of a false gospel speak of peace and prosperity and health for everyone who believes. They say, you trust Christ and your problems are over. And Paul says, oh no, you can expect afflictions. You can expect the world not to be in favor of what you have just done. You're going to have opposition at home. You're going to have opposition at work. You're going to have opposition wherever you go. Marvel not that the world hate you, Jesus said. It hated me before it hated you. And so how did Paul know that these men and women were genuine? By immediate result, by what they became, and then by what they did in verses 7 and 8. They communicated the gospel. Their testimony then had impact. The result was great, a great spiritual impact on many people. By their lives, they became examples. These followers soon became the example. These mimics became types, if you're familiar with that. Let's go back to Willis. Willis, the wife abuser, became Willis, the wife lover. Very obviously, how he treated her at church and everywhere else, buying her gifts, a man that probably is like me, hadn't bought flowers in years and starts buying her flowers, you know. Uh, I should learn something from that, probably, okay. The sister that was in the church, she was very angry with me for getting them back together. She said, what are you doing? She finally had the courage to leave that guy. And now the next thing you know, he makes some kind of spiritual decision and you're bringing them back together. She's just going to get hurt again. And she came, the sister came and asked my forgiveness, and she said, oh, that is a different man. That is a different man. One day, Willis came to my office to volunteer to be the church custodian. Not a small task. Uh, we had more than an acre under, you know, under roof. I mean, 45,000 plus square feet. And he said, I want to take care of this. He said, I want to work here. And he said, I don't want to get paid. I said, you're hired. <laughs> <coughs> Willis was there every day at school, every day working and interfacing with students. And he would mop and sing. Sometimes we would have to get him to be quiet so students could, uh, you know, study in their classrooms. But that's what the guy was like. Complete change. He became an example to all that believe, and all in Macedonia and Achaia, by their lives and by their lips. The Greek word sounded forth is the word trumpeted. It only occurs here in the New Testament. They trumpeted the word of the Lord. That is, they trumpeted the gospel message that had changed their lives. They, they had a passion for an evangelist and a passion for evangelism, to be an evangelist. 
when I got saved, no one had to tell me to witness. I observed it through an uneducated woman that witnessed to me at work, who was a bold witness at work, and that's made a great impact on my life. I observed it in a senior citizen who tried to witness to me, and uh, that man uh, was odd, to say the least. He's with the Lord today, and he would say he was odd. I'm not just saying that, but I knew he had something uh, that I didn't have. Examples give the gospel to others. And you are responsible for those that are closest to you. Just like the demoniac was told by Jesus to go home and show his friends how great things God had done for him, to to tell them that. After I was saved at 19, 20 years old actually, I witnessed immediately within minutes to my housemate that came home uh, from work, told him he thought I was nuts. Later to all my friends, everyone I could tell. Went home to my parents and my brother. Moved home for that purpose, to tell them about Jesus. Visited my grandparents, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, anyone that would listen to me. Told my neighbors on all sides. Remember one neighbor, he was the first one that ever told me he wasn't a sinner. And I, and I looked at him and I said, Art, you and I both know that's a lie. I knew him better than that, okay? And uh, everyone at work and every man in the bowling leagues where I participated, I, I began to witness and tell them. I began witnessing door-to-door through our church and then witnessing on the streets as well in the area of the University of Cincinnati. And uh, people began to hear and know. And people that I didn't know knew, that I hadn't talked to knew I witnessed on the street one time, and I tried to get someone to stop and talk. I said, I recognized him. I said, hey, I'm Marty Marriott. Now, I had my hair cut, beer gone, and all that kind of thing. And she says, I know who you are, and ran. <laughs> that was the early days. Well, here their message was heard in their homeland, but extended well beyond In every place, your faith to God were to spread abroad, not only but also, it says. It means the Thessalonians were not backward or bashful about their witnessing. A believer may have difficulty with how and when to witness, but there shouldn't be any doubt about a desire to witness. These believers witnessed in every place with a continued, expanding outreach with the message. And by the way, when you witness, you won't always do it right. Sometimes you'll say, why did I say that? I've had that happen when I genuinely did say the wrong thing. I've had it happen where I thought I said the wrong thing, and later on I found out I said exactly the right thing, letting the Lord direct me. I would only know that by the circumstances being revealed later. Their evangelistic zeal authenticated their message so that we need not to speak anything. There was no need for Paul to spread the word about their salvation. They were spreading it themselves. I have no time left to expand this, but let me give you the last point. How did Paul know that these men and women were brethren? By the immediate result, by what they became and by what they did and by what others observed And verses 9 and 10. That's what it says there. They faithfully continued in service, waiting for Jesus to come, and it was noted that they were doing that. 
Those in Macedonia and Achaia confirmed what the apostles originally observed. They themselves show of us. They report what manner of entering in we had into you, how our ministry was effective. You're continuing on. We know this is, this is the genuine article. This is the real deal. By the way, it's a whole lot better to have others confirm the effectiveness of your ministry than for you to do it yourself. In the early days, I'd, I must confess, I'd try to lead people to the Lord, and sometimes they make a profession, and I'd, I'd be happy about it, you know, and I'd tell somebody, and it, nothing really happened with that. And it was so much better to lead someone to the Lord and then have them report that they got saved. Then you know something's really happening, right? You know that it was genuine, it was true. That's what's happening here. They reported their complete transformation and complete reordering of their lives. They turned to God from idols to serve and then to wait. They repented of their sin. That's what it means to turn. And Paul was fulfilling his commission in this, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and so forth. And the passage goes on that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet or fit for repentance. That was his message. That was his ministry. They turned to God. They recognized him as living and true. It was a point in time. That's what conversion is. There may be a lot of things that lead up to someone getting saved, a lot of conviction that comes in their life, God working to bring them to that point. But when it comes to that point, Belief is a point in time. Conversion is they turned and they became part of the family of God. And that's what happened here. And with that, they purposed to serve the living God. And I'll just close with this. Now they're waiting. (sighs) And they're not doing anything. They're sitting around. They say, you know, we did it all. And now we're just going to wait for Jesus to come. Is that what it means to wait? If you take the whole context, you understand that's not what it means to wait. When we're waiting for Jesus, we're busy about doing his work just as they were. Busy about living for him, serving him in any way that we can, and telling the gospel story to everybody that we can. That's what God wants all of us to do, preacher, layperson, whatever you call yourself, uh, that's a ministry of individual believers. That's the ministry that we all have, and we have it together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this great passage of scripture. Thank you for changing lives. Thank you for empowering lives. Thank you for memories. I pray, Lord, that this student body would not only have memories, but build memories. Same way with this preacher, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.